Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Guys, I'm really excited to have a special guest today, somebody completely out of the ordinary in every way, including uh, the, the the kinds of things that he puts on the table for achievement. We're talking none other than Polar Ben, Ben Saunders. Uh, he is the leading explorer for expeditions to Antarctica and North Pole, having done both of them. Sir Rano Fiends would probably shoot me for, for saying that, but <laughs> the feats that Ben has accomplished are outstanding. And we're going to hear about another one that he's working on uh, at the end of this podcast. So stay tuned for that. But let's start the way we always start, which is the very beginning. Ben, firstly, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Great to be talking to you. Let's kick off with what you did in college and, and maybe right after. I left school as a teenager, left school after A-levels in the UK. Um, didn't get the results I wanted. Uh, and uh, I, I took a, basically took a year out. Uh, I worked for six months, you know, saved some money, just, just working in, in, in retail, in fact, juggling jobs, you know, retail stores, selling outdoor gear and behind a bar, you know, just the, the normal stuff. So saved some money, went traveling six months, went to Nepal, went to India and spent a bit of time in the Himalayas. So, so, I mean, it was, it was a, a few weeks in the, in the Himalayas, but that was my first, um, experience of, 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 uh, you know, kind of wilderness, um, and, you know, and terrain like that. It was, it was really impressive. And I did the, you know, the, all the, all the kind of cliched stuff, the, the hike into Everest base camp and the Annapurna circuit. But it was, it was a kind of seminal period. I was, I was 18, I guess at the time. So first time I traveled independently like that, you know, backpacking, um, the other side of the world. So that was, that was an amazing moment. And then, um, I came back and, took another year out and I ended up working in Scotland and this is where it all started happening this is where the screw came loose I, I spent a uh, nearly a year working up in the Scottish Highlands for a guy called John Ridgway who um, turned out to be the most extraordinary mentor and, and, and role model to me so John uh, he's still around we were emailing a few weeks ago he's he's he must be in his early 80s now so John uh, was ex-army. He was in the parachute regiment and in the, in the special air service, so special forces. Um, he used to box for Great Britain. He sailed around the world. And in 1966, uh, he crossed the Atlantic in a rowing boat uh, with another guy called Che Blythe, so two Britons, um, in, in, a, in a wooden boat uh, from Boston to Ireland, 93 days. And this was pretty epic. This was before the age of GPS, before satellite phones, before freeze-dried food. So, so you know, it, it's the kind of boat you, you'd expect to see in the serpentine, you know, tourists kind of rowing around taking selfies. So it was, it was an extraordinary achievement. And John came back uh, in the 70s, you know, before I was born, and, and, and started – what he called an adventure school up in the Scottish Highlands, in the middle of nowhere, right up on the northwest tip of the Highlands. And um, I'd read some of John's books as a, as a kid, as a teenager, and then there was a, a TV documentary about his school that called it the toughest management training school in the world. And something about that just, I don't know, you know just appealed to me. And I, I pretty impulsively wrote to him and, and applied for a job and i said i i you know i, I love the outdoors i was i was e even as a teenager was was a keen you know, i did a little climbing and hiking and a bit of kayaking and a little bit of sailing and that kind of thing so so i love the outdoors and loved adventure so i wrote to this guy john and, and to my amazement was was offered a job for 
almost no money. <laughs> it was like board and lodging and a, and a little bit of pocket money. Um, and did a, a you know season for him as, as an instructor. And I think that that is where the screw came loose. He was just a, a genuinely inspiring person to be around. And um, and it was an inspiring place. We were you know in the highlands on the coast. Um, every single day we were outdoors in the mountains or on a sailboat and, and, um, it was, you know, this was, this was probably just before the internet as well. This was like 96, 97, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was no, there was no social media, no, no email really back then. Um, it was probably a year before I first got a mobile phone. So we were pretty cut off. There were, uh, I forget how many instructors, probably six, seven, eight of us, um, all late teens, early twenties. So it was, it was just an extraordinary year. And I, and I read a lot of books that year. I was obviously outdoors every day. And then every evening I was reading and, and most of what I read was about explorers and expeditions. So, so it was that year that I thought this is somehow, this is, this is what I want to do. And did you, um, did you do the army or am I mis- mm. mistaken that? No, you're absolutely right. I, I did. So, so, so John, John Ridgway had been, had been an, an army officer. Um, most of my sort of boyhood heroes had been in the military in, in some, in some shape or form. Um, you know, Chris Bonington, extraordinary mountaineer had been, had been, uh, in the army. Sir Ronald Fiennes had been in the army. Um, you know, there just, there just seemed to be a, 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 uh, you know, kind of recurring theme, theme here. So this, this seemed like the, the logical, um, career path if i wanted to end up one day leading expedition for a living then surely that's what i had to do so i got into the british army i i I managed to kind of sweet talk my way into into sandhurst which is the the royal military academy um and i say sweet talk because they 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 almost uh, insist that you have a a university degree nowadays and i I didn't have a degree i had these sort of two years out and travel a lot and spent this year in scotland so you go through a pretty lengthy interview process and there's a sort of three-day selection board as well with 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 you know leadership tests and that kind of thing and um and got through that um and and yeah my my army career lasted all of 11 months um i was i was in a car crash um at the start of the third term at sandhurst so was was kind of side like i injured my leg quite badly um and was was on crutches for several weeks and uh, was was kind of sidelined in my training so you lose track of your platoon which is the the 29 30 guys that that have become your closest friends you know over the over the previous months um, they all carry on, you know, and you're sat there on the sidelines, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. And, and, um, I think that's when I decided it just wasn't the right, the right life for me. Um, I don't regret it for a second. I, 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 I loved the experience. I grew up enormously. I turned 21 in the army. Um, you're, you're put under extraordinary pressure that, that I can't imagine anyone in, in the civilian world. I mean, may, maybe actually in startups, you know, thinking of some young founders who suddenly got huge investment and, and have, you know, suddenly have, have big, you know, teams working for them. I, I, yeah, that might be a similar kind of situation. But but I mean, even in the first few months at Sandhurst, you'd be singled out and suddenly put in charge of a company of people, which is 90, you know, 90 soldiers. And you'd have artillery support and, and everyone's, you know, obviously you know, live firing on exercise. And, and it was it was really stressful. <laughs> and so I think I'm you know, matured a lot. I, I definitely responded positively to that, to that pressure. But but I think I also realized at the same time that I didn't respond particularly well to 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 orders, you know, to being told what to do in, in, a, in a in a sort of structure where you don't question the way it's done because that that is the way it's done and that's why it's always been done and that's just you know just you have to you you have to become a a cog in a machine and and I think I just 
something something inside me just didn't quite fit there. So uh, yeah, so I left left of my own accord, age twenty one, and I think to to the absolute astonishment of my mum, particularly who who I think was finally relieved that I I, I seemed to be pursuing a sensible career and and you know was at Sandhurst and she was proud of me and you know, and there I am you know leaving <laughs> age twenty one, so you know talking nonsense about one day wanting to lead expeditions. So so uh, yeah, left the army after less less than a year. Yeah, no, that's true, yeah, no, and I totally can sympathize with that. I used to be on the rowing team in college and mm. uh, I got an injury in my lower back and yeah, it was tough seeing my, my teammates from the boat kind of going yeah. out and the yeah. conversations in the pub afterwards were about that day's, you know, mm. events and you, you weren't part of them. So I can totally understand where that oh, it was. Of- it was, yeah, it was so demoralizing. And, and, um, I often wonder, you know, if I hadn't been in that car crash, this weird, weird twist of fate, how things would have panned out. I think, th- I, I can't imagine because I think part of the way that system works is you are you're kept so busy, you know, you're training so hard that you, you're not really given any bandwidth to to question, you know, what you're doing there. Um, so you, there's an extraordinary momentum you're kind of carried along with it. So it was only only through being injured that I had time to stop and really think deeply about what I was doing to reflect. So just mm-hmm. for the just for the audience, if that was 21 when you left, uh, how old are yep. you now? Uh, I just turned forty this summer. Just turned forty, so that yeah. gives that gives the <laughs> sort of listeners a scope of what what we're going to be talking about next. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think now that you, in this point in your story, you know, you've gone through what is, in many people's perception, a very strong leadership um, program. You know, at Sandhurst, and at the same time, you were exposed to. I think I think you said his name was John. Uh, your colleague yes, in, yeah, in, in John Scotland. Yep. And you had gone through his sort of quasi leadership school uh, mm. as an outdoor guide. And now looking back, you know, the years that you've been doing this, um, many founders are probably learning leadership on the fly as they mm. become CEOs and their company starts scaling. What can you reference as the biggest marker in leadership education for you in, in the last, you know, 20 plus years of, of doing this and, and having a career military and, and as a guide? Hmm. That's a good question. I think so much of it, actually, looking back, goes back to the the really elemental things that that that, that John Ridgway would talk about. And this was for me was was you know, my, in my late teens. But um, a lot of that was about sort of self reliance and 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 you know the the importance of a leader's ability to to motivate him or herself. Um, and I think that's that's held true, you know, for my entire entire um, career. And it's been a pretty extraordinary career. But um, I think, you know, looking back, that's been a huge, you know, huge factor. And and do you see that drive that that um, motivates you in every expedition? Mm. Is that something that you feel you project onto the people that work underneath you or work with you or in your platoon, so to speak? Uh, um, or is that something you look out for in the individuals and then you really kind of don't have to do all that much? How, how do you think about leadership in the context of, of a, a larger team? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And actually, and I'm sure we might come onto this in, in, in a business sense in a second. But I, 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 I think I, it took me a while to learn the difference between leadership and management. And I, and I think I think for a long time, I, I sort of assumed that people would be wired the same way that I was and, 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 and would behave and, and think the same way that I did. And that's not necessarily true, particularly in, 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 in most, you know, corporate environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think I, I had to be um, entrepreneurial from, from, from day one. You know, my first expedition in 2001, so I was 23. Um, I, I had to raise 
for that, I think about £40,000, which which at the time seemed an insurmountable challenge. Now it seems tiny. Yeah, we had, we, the, my, my last big expedition in, in 2013 was about £1.7 million. Pounds. So, so things, things have scaled up dramatically. But back then, 23 years old, basically with no job. I was working, yeah, working part-time. I was doing sort of personal training and, and, and a few other things. Um, but I had no, you know, no money, no savings, um, uh, 23 years old, and trying to find – Forty thousand pounds in 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 a in a in a few months was a huge challenge, and I'd never tried to fundraise on on, on any scale before. I mean, I'd run marathons for charity and that kind of thing, but I'd never tried to raise a you know sort of five figures something like this. So so that was a a, a, a you know big hurdle, and um and I think looking back ever since then, I mean, it, it, there's been a, a huge entrepreneurial element to, to, to what I've done. And, and these are you know, these, these expeditions and there've been 11 of them so far are expensive camping trips. So I've had to, you know, I've had to find the, the funding and the, and the commercial, commercial partnership to, you know, to make them happen. Um, so that in many ways, that's been the hardest part for me of, of, of what I do. Yeah. And if we, we'll, we'll jump back into that across 11 expeditions and, and sort of in, in a way your, your leadership is, not just in terms of keeping the people that are on your expedition alive and well, uh, but also in keeping your sponsors up to date, promoting it, the, the marketing before, the marketing after. So there, there is an, an entity of the corporation of Ben Saunders, if you will. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. probably we can, we can touch upon over the course of 11 expeditions. But mm-hmm. so if I understood you correctly, 2001 is the year, the 20, at, at age 23, where you can officially say you were an explorer. Is that, is that a fair representation? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So if we fast forward a little bit and we're, we're probably not going to jump into all the expeditions, but if we just fast forward through all of them and, and guys that are listening to this, Ben has some amazing content on uh, YouTube of his previous expeditions, including the most recent one, um, uh, on a Ted talk, which I found absolutely fascinating. The stories that he's had, uh, to tell since then, uh, of his times with Tarka are w- one of a kind. So if you guys haven't seen them, I encourage you to go see them after this podcast. But if we jump straight to sort of today and we mm. think about those expeditions as, as a collective, on average, how, uh, what was the biggest and smallest in terms of staffing. So I know with Tarkas, mm-hmm. you plus one guy, but what was yeah, the yeah. biggest expedition in terms of number of people? It was the smallest. And we'll, I guess we'll, we'll sort of start narrowing down what the challenges of each are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, interesting that it's, it's always been small teams on the ice. So I think the biggest team on the ice has been three. Um, but having said that, there, there are always people in the background. So with, with Tarka and me, you know, two of us in Antarctica in 2013, 2014, we had several people in the background. Um, there were um, three, four, you know, key team members. We had we had quite a lot of part-time staff. You know, at some points there were like eight people in the office, which which for me was was extraordinary because, you know, here I am try, trying to create this situation where where I'm living this incredibly simple life. You know, kind of tra- traveling through the, the 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 blank white nothingness of Antarctica, living in a tent, yeah, you know, melting snow to get my drinking water. Yeah, you know, life doesn't get much more basic than that. And the amount of complexity that it, that it took to, you know, to get down there and to achieve that was extraordinary. So it, it was, it was, it was a business in, in every sense. Um, and, 
I'd often walk into the office and, and it would be full of people and phones ringing and you know things happening and, and just think how the hell did this did this happen? You know, I, I sort of inadvertently became the CEO of this of this weird enterprise where where I was not only the CEO but I was also the product. I was the thing that we were shipping at the at the end of it. So it was it was a it was interesting transitions. So and and, and the flip side of that would would be you know my first expeditions back in two thousand one two thousand three two thousand four where it was just me you know it was literally just me and then and then 2003-2004 I had a, a very good friend called Tony who's now in New York he was um CEO of a company called Chartbeat so he's 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 now in the in the kind of media space um and and, and very much tech entrepreneur in, in America so so but he he and I worked together on a few expeditions uh well more than a decade ago 15 years ago now um so then it then it became a team of two and it sort of grew from there so it's it, it's it's very enormously over the years so when when you look back at all those years do you see the corporation of i mean i don't know if this is the way you think of yourself but the corporation of ben saunders is is it the kind of organization that is expedition to expedition uh or is it the kind of thing where like now that this is your career can you look back on it and be like actually this is a growing company have you know this has been a trajectory mm. i mean i i don't think the days of early explorers like Amundsen and, you know, and Scott and, and Shackleton, it was more about the discovery, but with so many things being dis having already been discovered. And now it's more about yeah. certain challenges and getting sponsors and getting the word out there and then sort of achieving for the sake of achieving. How do you, how do you reconcile that? Do you think of it as a business or do you, do you still think of it as challenges that you are seeking for yourself and you just managed to be lucky enough to find people to support you? How do you reconcile that, that entire sort of corporation of Ben's yeah. It's interesting. It's it's in in some ways it is expedition to expedition, um, but it, it, but in other ways there's definitely been a trajectory. And I've got you know some fantastic. We were saying, and I've got you know, dream sponsors for this next expedition. You know, Land Rover, Canada Goose, Bremont. Um, you know, some really cool brands. So so so, and it's taken it's taken a long time. I, you know, I'm trying to think the, the 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 gap between me first approaching Land Rover and me first signing a contract with Land Rover was, was four or five years, you know, of, of, <laughs> of knocking on the same door. So, um, so it, there's definitely been a continuum. Um, but having said that, that, things have definitely scaled up and scaled down for each project. So, so, and this, the expedition I'm about to start this year has been done with a, with a pretty small team, really. I mean, a kind of skeleton crew, um, and, and using sort of more and more kind of contractors and, 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 and realizing I think in, in a strange way, seeing it much more as a business and realizing there's a, there's a bottom line here for me. And I think in the past, I'd be like, right, here's the budget. I'm going to raise the money and then spend the money and, and, and do the expedition and sort of get back to zero at the end. And that would be success. And now I'm like, well, actually, it's, this is this is what I do for a living. You know, if, if I can, if I can. Yeah. I need a pension. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the other and the other thing that I'm thinking very differently about these days is um, speaking, which I, which I do a lot of. Um, and, and particularly in the US, I'm with a speaker agency based in Washington, DC. And, um, and I've been speaking for years. I, I stumbled into it. I started out talking to schools and scout groups and whoever would have me, you know, 15, 16 years ago, not, not really realizing that, that, that this was something you could get paid to, to do, um, for, you know, for, for commercial audiences. And, um, and that's really taken off. And I think up until recently, I, I mean, maybe 18 months ago, I always saw it as a sideline. Um, it was it was it was a great sideline and one that could be lucrative at times and that and that meant I could I could make a genuinely make a living out of this. But I didn't see that as my job. Um, 
until about 18 months ago. And I'll, I'll come back to that point in, in, in a bit. But um, I think there was a definite shift in mindset there, realizing that actually speaking at, at that sort of level to those sort of audiences is, is normally something people do much later in their career. You know, if you look at other people on the books of this agency, they are retired CEOs, they're ex-politicians, they're, they're ex-professional athletes, they're, they're you know, um, people that have achieved at really, really high level, you know, politicians. Um, so I'm in a pr- pretty, you know, pretty rarefied crowd there. And I think I was almost dismissively seeing it as a, as a bit of a sideline, but not really what I, what I did. Um, so, so there's definitely been a, a shift to me seeing this more as a, as a, as a, as a, as a business that has, you know, that has sort of grown and progressed over the years. And if you look at the scary moments that you've had over the years as, as an explorer, you know, to, I'm going to pick on one from the 2013-14 expedition, which mm. you talk about in your TED talk, which is when you had to call in for air support for supplies because yes. you know, it was yep. pretty much really dangerous. If we look at those yep. scary moments as scary moments that are part of, let's say, just being on the field, if you're a football player, mm. if you're part of, um, as a professional athlete, just part of playing your sport, if we were to eliminate yep. those from the day-to-day mm-hmm. and we go back to the idea of Ben Saunders as a corporation, what what has been the scariest moment as the leader of this corporation outside of the playing field? In this case, outside of what's happened in expeditions, what's been the scariest, you know, moment in the last 20 years where you're like, Oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to be able to overcome this from a business point of view. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I mean, looking back to the first, the first few years. So, so sort of 2001 was the first expedition. Um, kind of 2001 to about 2003, 2004, I was at several points in that, in that, in that sort of four year space, I was genuinely broke. Like I know at times when I was, it was, it was really hand to mouth. And um, I remember one point trying to get to a meeting in town with a potential sponsor and, and literally this was before Oyster card. So you had to you know, buy a ticket and it would sort of print out this card ticket that you had to put in the slot. And um, I think I didn't even have enough money to buy a ticket. And I was just, I, was, I had this real, real low point i was like i can't even get to that i haven't even got like four pounds fifty or whatever it was to 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 get to the meeting to see this potential sponsor and you know it was like down to my last penny literally and i think someone handed me their ticket i must have been looking particularly sorry for myself i was actually standing there by the by the machine and someone just as they were walking out just gave me their travel card and it was in the afternoon and um and I'm pretty sure I forget who the meeting was with at the time, but I'm pretty sure that sponsor then said yes, and just everything picked up again. But there, there've been a there've been a few really low points like that where where it's 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 like there's been zero, like no, no money left, like you know, nothing left in the overdraft, like everything like rock bottom. There were there were a few of those moments, um, and it was a long time ago now, and you know, distant memory. But um, and now I look back and I look on it through the rose tinted you know goggles of hindsight and, and look at it as, as, a, as a sort of a and you never thought about quitting in those moments because you know one thing is to quit mid mm. mid uh, uh, expedition but another thing is to have finished expeditions and really struggling as an interp- yeah. as an entrepreneur that happens to do extreme stuff like yeah. at what point did you look at your corporation and say actually this is just unfund or I'm, I'm, i don't know if this is going to be able to make it for 20 yeah. years yeah I don't know. There was, there was, there was something, there was just this sort of stubbornness in me. There's something I, I just felt like I committed so much in terms of time and energy and, and effort to just, and I, I just always was convinced that this, that this, you know, with the right combination of people, the right partners aboard, that this would cut, sort of come good. It could, I just always believed it could, it could work. Um, and that's, and that's an interesting one because, because you talked about having to call for help in, in, 
in um, 20, early 2014 on the, on the last big expedition. And, and so I'm not, there's definitely a difference between, between, um, you know, persist, persistence and kind of resilience and, and being completely bloody minded and, 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 and stubborn to the point of, 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 of recklessness. So there's definitely a boundary between those two. Um, but I think I've had to have this, this, um, sort of self-belief i guess that, that that things you know that things things are going to work out and that i've somehow got the capacity to make that happen um even if i can't immediately see the see the answer in front of my face um and i think that's i think that and i talk a lot about this this quality of self-belief and and, and i my theory is it's it's a sort of malleable human quality that responds to stimulus and, and the more you test it the more you stretch it the stronger it becomes um and i think you see that in, in someone like an elon musk who is now just taking on the the biggest challenges human beings have ever taken on and he's taking them on with with this confidence that's come not not through the fact that he's mad but through the fact that he's he's time and again he sort of defied the critics, you know, the status quo, and and achieved extraordinary things when when he's when he's focused his attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, to me, self belief is something that 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 like a muscle, you know, kind of responds to 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 being challenged. Yeah. Well, I'm cognizant that we haven't had a chance for you to in in your in the very humble tone that you you always speak of yourself but we haven't given you a chance to sort of show off a little bit about some of the, <laughs> some of the things that you've actually achieved and and I, I could i could roll them off on your behalf but it it might be more entertaining for the audience to hear them directly from you so i will i will kick you off um <laughs> in the in the expedition that we've been referring to the 1314 uh ben did an amazing job of retracing the steps of what has killed everybody else prior but it, an astonishing feat. I've heard the story, you know, the equivalent of 69 marathons back to back. And so quite an impressive feat, the only one that's made it alive. But maybe, Ben, you can walk us through the, all the other achievements you've done across the poles. Yeah. So before that, I, th- I think the, the other, the one real standout expedition was, was 2004. So I skied solo to the North Pole from, from Russia. I, I say skied, I mean, basically walked walked with skis on, you know, dragging a sledge. It's not, you're, you're not kind of gracefully gliding along. You're basically just plodding with, with skis on. Um, so that was um, a big project. You know, I was 26 years old, which, which now looking back, I'm, 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 I just, I can't quite get my head around. You know, now, now 26 year olds seem really young to me. <laughs> like, how did the, how did the 26 year old me pull that off? And, and, and how did I have the, the how did I get the sponsors? You know, they, they must have thought I was so young to be, to be doing that, that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, 10 weeks on my own, 72 days, um, from the North coast of Russia to the, to the North Pole. Um, it was the, what well, still is the longest, longest solo Arctic journey by Britain. Um, so I've co- covered more distance on skis on my own in the Arctic than, than any Britain in history. Uh, and um, I became the third in history to get to the North Pole uh, solo. And no one's done it on their own since then. So there are only three of us that have got there um, solo yeah, from any route um, in history. So it's a small, small club. Um, and that was that was a proud achievement. It, it was it was a, a sort of mixed mixed feelings as I stood at the North Pole that year because my plan had been to go right across the Canada to make a sort of traverse of the of the Arctic Ocean and um, that's still never been done solo and, 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 and unsupported so that was my goal that year so I'd, I'd been aiming so high that that even in kind of falling slightly short of that I still got to North Pole on my own um, 70 days so that was a that was a big project. So you've done both poles and I think well, there's only another 
bunch of people that have only done that, right? Only like three people or so. Yeah, but very few, very few. Um, and the last, the, 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 the big projects in Antarctica you mentioned, we, that was basically 1800 miles. Um, the, the GPS at the end of it said, said 1795. And then someone got in touch and said, and said, well, GPS assumes that the earth is perfectly spherical, spherical which it isn't. So actually, I reckon you've skied 1801 miles. So, so, um, either way, it was, it was a long trip, 108 days in Antarctica. Um, it was the longest, longest ever polar journey on foot. So we, we, we genuinely raised the bar with that, with that expedition. And, um, I think that's, is, is, yeah, proudest achievement to date. It's amazing, and and there's a lot of little details that I, maybe I'll throw in towards the end that I want to hear about, and also we want to hear about the new expedition. But before we do that, this is maybe a time to talk about a failure, you know, mm-hmm. a failure, but perhaps not entirely because there's a legacy there, and there's also a lot of lessons there. And and this is having to do with your entry into starting your own business, other mm-hmm. than just expeditions through the magazine Avant. Maybe you can walk us through the the premise behind it where you think things went wrong and what was the the number one and two lesson that you learned from the experience if were you to do it again yeah yeah so i yeah came back from antarctica in early 2014 uh, and pretty shortly after that we launched um i say we I had two two co-founders so three of us out of the business uh, a, a print magazine called Avant. It's a, yes, an old English word that means you know, beyond or away from A V A U N T. And Avant came from an interview I did um, a few years prior to that with with a, a men's magazine called Port P O R T, which is a is a, a kind of niche, you know, pretty high end, pretty highbrow sort of men's. Um, I guess it's, you know, it's kind of style and culture and fashion. And it's got a bit of a kind of literary, you know, it's got some lovely long form journalism. And it's just a beautiful magazine, just really great design, great photography, great writing, just, just wonderful, you know, production values. So I was, I was interviewed by Port and met, um, the editor, the guy called Dan Crow and, and the designer guy called Matt Willie. They both became co-founders of Vaunt. And, and I, I made this fateful comment to them at the time. This was now about six or seven years ago. I said, it's a real shame there isn't, uh, you know, a, a sort of adventure uh, exploration magazine like this, because I really think there could be. So it was a beautiful, you know, coffee table magazine. Um, and I think I was getting fed up at the time with with the way that there, there seemed to be more and more sort of made f- made for TV pseudo adventure that was getting that was getting all the airtime. Um, and the media just weren't were covering less and less. Um, of what was going on that, that was genuinely pioneering. Um, you know, Britain has some of the best mountaineers in the world, for example, at the moment, but no one's heard of them because um, they're all too busy climbing and, and they're terrible at self-promotion. And, 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 and climbing, you can do, unlike polar expeditions, you, you can do on a shoestring budget. You can hitchhike to, a, to, to the mountain, you know. Yeah. I can't hitchhike to Antarctica. So, um, so I just wanted to sort of shine the spotlight on, on, on people that were doing, you know, genuinely pioneering things. And then the more we talked, the more we were like, well, actually – exploration is a really nice theme and, and 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 actually one can be an explorer but 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 not you know have to be a sort of someone on a mountain wearing big boots you know you could be a, an architect or a or a, an artist or a musician or an engineer or you know so and the list went on so so we decided we would try and launch this thing with 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 you know exploration and and, and pioneering and sort of human limits as being the, the the themes behind it and yeah we launched in 2014 um with a, a little bit of seed capital, we, we were that. I mean, that was lesson number one. We just didn't have enough capital. Um, that was a mistake. So I put some money in. 
Um, I then ca- carried on putting money in as, as it as it grew, um, and it was it was beautiful. I mean, yeah, issue one, we had a little launch party in London, and I was so proud. I'd never. It was the first time in my life that I'd, I'd made something physical mm-hmm. and, and would see it on the shelves in shops. And I'd see complete strangers, you know, picking it up and looking at it and flicking through it. And there was something incredibly satisfying about that, about, about you know, producing, making something, you know, print on, on paper. Um, and it was a lovely thing. It, 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 it's, it's, I'm still proud of it now. It's beautifully designed. It's on beautiful paper. It just feels nice. It, it even smells like, which sounds weird, but when you open it up, it's just, you know, there's something really special. So I was, I was pretty proud of it. And, um, uh, it was biannual. Um, and I think this was another lesson. There, there's a, there's a, a, a very long lag between particularly anything like a vaunt where you have very high production costs. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you are, if you're serious about, journalism and, and you're paying you know writers and commissioning articles and not just recycling press release rubbish that you get sent from pr agency if you're actually doing journalism then you have to pay up front for that you've got to pay writers and photographers and if you're commissioning you know, and particularly if it's adventure you're paying for people to fly to alaska or you know, wherever it is so so it had pretty big upfront costs and then and then if you're a new business printing something you have to pay you know a lot of the print print costs up front so so there's a lot about you know, expenditure and then you can only invoice um, advertisers when the magazine is on the shelves and that's every six months. And then often if you're dealing with, with particularly Italian fashion brands, they would take months to pay. They would take three or four months to pay. So you end up this extraordinary cycle from, 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 you know, cash going out to make the magazine happen to cash finally coming in from advertisers. And that often was, was like nine or 10 months. So that was challenging. Um, and then I think there was, there was just a much, broader you know we, we were we were I, I, and i think i sort of take i've taken this expedition mindset which is where if everyone says it's impossible like i'm going to prove them wrong you know? yeah, yeah and and of course print publishing is is just in a dire state right now like re- really 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 struggling and people would say oh well you've got to go digital that's the answer you've got to take it online and but but even that is proving very hard for people to monetize if you look at the the guardian made a 63 million pound loss last year you know and they have enormous traffic online they've got a massive digital audience huge you know kind of interaction if you look at people commenting on on, on various bits of the guardian website you know, and and the social media stuff they do massive massive interaction online and yet they can't monetize it so so you know a small magazine with 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 relatively high overheads making a, a, a you know a, an expensive publication in a way, looking back, I think it was probably doomed from from the outset. Yeah. So it was just it's just a really challenging sector. Someone someone jokingly said I, I'd pick the one thing harder than walking to the South Pole back. Um, yeah, launching a, a print magazine in the in the 21st century, and in the way in a way it is easier than ever to start a print magazine. Um, it's you know the, the 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 kind of cost of entry if if you want to make your own publication is 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 you can do it for 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 next to nothing nowadays. But but. But actually, the reality of keeping a business like that going um, and, and, and a business that pays its contributors is really tough, really, really. Um, and if you look at things like and, – and maybe Medium might be one of the exceptions because I think they're starting to pay writers a little bit. But, yeah. but yeah, Huffington Post don't pay anyone. You know, like, that's just, you know it's, it's, it's a really difficult space to make commercially viable. So, that, so essentially, the magazine lived had had a sort of short lifespan, two and a half years, I guess, um, and 
it it went bust. We, it was the company was liquidated. Um, I lost a lot of money personally, um, a six figure amount. Um, essentially, at the time, my, my life savings. So that went down the down the drain with this with this business. Mm. And it taught me. It was it was enormous. I think the only reason I'm not really bitter and depressed about the whole thing is that it was such a steep um, learning curve and 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 such a such a um i'm trying the right word but it was such an intensive learning curve as well it was and 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 looking back on it i did the, the only way i can i can sort of square it in my mind is by saying well you know what i could have i could probably have spent more on that doing a really swanky mba somewhere and studying abroad and yeah and i've learned i'm convinced i've learned way more than any mba would have would have ever taught me about man about management and about about you know the realities of running a business so it was it was um, an incredible Incredible experience, huh? Yeah. yeah. But if we look at the dynamics between you and your co-founders, mm. how would you how would you define the difference between the tension of a company that isn't doing well, mm. managing the relationships with your co-founders versus when you were in Antarctica with Tarka, both starving mm. to death and listening to each other's jokes for days on end? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> how did you compare the two so that if a founder is listening to this, they're thinking, is Antarctica actually easier? Hmm. It's an issue. I, th- I think I think there were there were some big lessons about um, commitment. I was the only of the three founders. I was the only one that put money in. Um, so I think we were on a, a, a really unequal footing from from day one. Really, in that, in that sense, um, I had yeah. There was a lot more risk. There was a, a much bigger downside for me than there was for for the two other founders. Um, and I think there's also a lesson about focus. You know, for me. Avaunt was was one of a few things I was doing, um, and I wasn't. I think looking back, you know, the th- three founders. I think in a way there wasn't. Yeah, we didn't really decide who was in charge, um, and in the end, I sort of fell into the CEO role. But it wasn't a full time role for me because I'd often be away speaking, trying to earn money to a, a pay my own bills and b prop up the magazine financially so i was sort of going off doing a whole other job a whole other career you know in order to earn enough to 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 keep the business keep the cash flow propped up um we then tried a sort of second investment round but i think i i I realized that that is almost a full-time commitment that that sort of fundraising and when you're trying to run what then was quite a busy um little business with 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 at the time several employees i think we had um i think probably about 12 at at its at its peak um, you know, actually doing a doing a doing a, a, a you know an investment round is a huge commitment and, and means a ton a load more work. You know, you've got to produce all the all the, the materials that you're showing people and the proposals and you and you're pitching and you're going to meetings and you know and and it, and then it's 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 never quick. You know, from from the sort of pitch meeting to getting money in the bank, it's it, it's often months and months and months and months. So um, so that was challenging as well. Um, and I think I think for all of us, you know, even my other two two co-founders were working on different things. Other magazines, one of them was working on the New York Times. So, so I think it was a lesson in 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 focus as well. You know, for me and Tarka in Antarctica, nothing else mattered. <laughs> that was you know that was the only thing we were working on. Um, everything else could wait until we got home. So um, so that's that. I think it's one of the big differences. Is the motivation of survival, huh? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. One one of the things that I've noticed that helps a founding team 
in overcoming some of these difficult challenges is how long they've had a relationship for prior to the actual startup. Yes. Yeah, how, yeah. how would you have described all the expeditions and the people that have worked with you um, with regards to that? Would you say that that rings true or, or is that something that you can circumvent somehow? You know, what? I, I think that rings very true. Um, I think looking at Vaunt, I mean, the people I met a few years prior, but I didn't really know them that well. Whereas, whereas when I look at expedition teammates, you know, Taka, I had known for more than a decade um, before we went to Antarctica together. So, 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 yeah, starting from very different places, um, and uh, you know, going to Antarctica with Taka, there was even though we we'd never done a big project together, a big journey together, there was an enormous amount of mutual. Um, respect and and trust. We, we were both coming to this with 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 impressive resumes when it came to the to expeditions. So um, I think we knew we 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 we'd been friends for a decade, but we also knew that the other person was was never going to be a liability. They had the yeah you know, the track record to to back it up. And so uh, on that note, maybe this is a good time to talk about your new new expedition because what's what's specifically unique about this, in contrast to what we were just speaking about, is that it's a solo. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so maybe you can walk us through what what it is, um, and and why solo. Yeah. Well, the the plan in a nutshell um, is to make a solo, um, unsupported, unassisted. So 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 no no resupplies of food, um, no assistance from vehicles or, or kites or any, anything like that. Um, uh, a solo, unsupported, unassisted crossing of Antarctica. So on foot from from one side of the continent, the Chilean side, to the South Pole. And then finishing on the far side, on the kind of New Zealand side. So, so going right across uh, on my own. It's about a thousand miles. So, so, so um, if your memory's any good, that, that's that's actually quite a bit shorter than the last trip I did with Taka, which is this, this big round trip that was following Scott and Shafton's route. So, so this is a essentially a simpler route. Uh, it's a shorter route, thousand miles versus eighteen hundred. But the big difference, um, you're absolutely right, is is that I'll be on my own. Um, I expected to take about eight weeks. Um, I have six, 65 days of food, so so a little, you know, sort of nine weeks of food, um, and uh, yeah, starting in, in a matter of weeks, I'll be starting uh, in, in early November. So why solo, though? I mean, I know that the that there's a the allure of saying that you did it by yourself, but mm. from a mental health, from a um, uh, likelihood of success, would yeah, you yeah. say that mm. that you would have otherwise preferred or, or had a better outcome? Um, with a team, yeah, there, 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 I mean, there are definitely pros and cons in, in terms of this particular exhibition. I mean, a, it hasn't been done, um, so that's that makes it more interesting as a, you know, as an objective, um, and and b, um, there's also a, a, um, a fairly tragic sort of backstory to it, which is that a, a great friend of mine, a guy called Henry Worsley, actually died at the end of um, attempting this journey in January last year. He was he he fell ill during the expedition. Um, was airlifted out to Chile and, and died in hospital in Chile um, of peritonitis, so sort of a stomach infection that, um, in his case, came from a ruptured stomach ulcer. So he was, you know, he, he contracted this illness during during the expedition, um, and he raised a lot of money for for um, a charity called the Endeavour Fund. So so it kind of felt to me, after a while, that there was an opportunity for me here to 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 kind of honour the, the the friendship and the inspiration that he gave me by. If, you know, at some point, someone was going to do this journey. So, so I'm one of a small group that have got the the skills and the experience to realis- realistically attempt it. And I was so inspired by what Henry had done. This was Henry's third 
um, polar expedition, third third expedition in Antarctica. And each one had always had a big philanthropic goal. So his last expedition raised um, a half a million pounds for a charity called the Endeavour Fund. So 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 my motivation really was to to kind of finish the, the journey for him and to carry on the work he was doing. So supporting the same charity. So that's that's a big part of it. H- having said that, it's it's not my first solo expedition. So this isn't you know that aspect isn't isn't new to me. And I, I did this long journey in two thousand four. And there are definite pros and cons. It, it's it's an interesting one. You know, when there are two of you or more, as soon as it becomes a team, it's a very high pressure relationship because you're living under these pretty squalid conditions. <laughs> you're eating the same thing, wearing the same clothes every day, living in in the same sleeping bags. You're not you're not washing. You're not really changing clothes. You're not you know, um, and and you're living. And I often say this about the trip with Tarka. We we were there's this paradox where you're in this enormous expanse of nothingness, and yet we were living half spending half our time 12 hours a day in a space that it would be illegal to keep prisoners in you can't even stand up in the, in the tent it's tiny so um so you're under this extraordinary pressure as a, as a team and the smallest issues the smallest sort of friction points between human beings can, can become blown out of all proportion under that sort of pressure um both both the self-imposed pressure of the of the, of the goal that you're pursuing but also the the environmental pressure that you're under so when you're on your own that, that that's in some ways that's removed you, you can live to your own routine you, you wake up when you want to go to sleep when you want travel as fast or as slow as you want as soon as there are two of you or more you have to agree a framework you have to say right we're going to wake up at six we're, we're going to start skiing at eight we're going to do nine hours a day or ten hours a day we'll stop every 90 minutes well you know you can only you can only move at the pace of the slowest person so so you have to agree this structure and, and life becomes um regimented you know it has to um, for, for you know, for you to succeed. So, so when you're on your own, there's there's less structure, which which to me is quite liberating. Um, the downside is, of course, that there is no one there sharing it with you. So there's no one there to help you when things are tough. Uh, but 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 more than that, no one will ever appreciate what it was like uh, because they weren't there. And that's and that's quite isolating. You know, it, it's it, it's one of the great things with Tarka is is the knowledge that there is one human being out there that that knows what this was like that last last expedition because it, it was an unprecedented journey no one had ever walked that far in those conditions so we were doing something that was off the scale we were yeah we were genuine in, in, in this sort of uncharted territory in, in a human sense when it came to physical mental endurance um so the knowledge that someone else knows what that was like is, is, is a really special bond and, and making decisions must be you know, you were talking about sort of having a process and a discipline, but the, the severity of decisions, and I, I th- I'm, I'm asking you these questions from the context of founders who are thinking about yeah, starting a project by themselves or with yeah, some, yeah. some colleagues, but there must be some level of dilution of, of guilt, I guess, in, in a mini committee, if you will, or mm. does that not go away? Or, or is that, or, or do you start blaming? How, how does that, how does that <laughs> differ? Uh, it's a really good question, actually. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, in a sense, looking at looking at the expedition of Taka, I think I was, it, it, in a way, it was it was I was the founder. It was it was he came on um, relatively late in the day. The, the you know the team changed around a bit. Um, two previous teammates, one of them had you know young family and just couldn't commit to it. Another one had sort of injury problems and and um, it, so the, so the team kind of shifted around. So I, I think there was always this knowledge that it was ultimately it was my it was my thing you know my project um and i think i, I also felt responsible for, for for tarka in a way that he perhaps didn't for for, for, for me so i don't know it was, it was it was um 
I mean, they, 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 that was never an issue between us. Um, we, we got on remarkably well. We both helped each other through some pretty pretty tough points. But um, but I think ultimately there was also the realization that this was my this was my train set. You know, this is my idea. Mm. Cool. Well, we always like to wrap up with a few fun questions. Let's start off with an easy one. <laughs> Maybe not so easy. What's one <laughs> opinion that you held quite strongly in the past, but that now you feel you were misguided about all along? Mm. Um, this is this is. I've been thinking a lot about this actually, um, and and this comes back to something I was saying about a Vaughan earlier, and and also about the speaking work that I was doing, um, and my my total change of mind came um, after reading a book uh, called and it's called So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, and um, the book is about careers and about and about sort of job satisfaction, and. Um, he opens the book by by saying, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but by saying something like, um, you know, my, my opening premise for this book is is that follow your dreams is the worst career advice anyone could ever be given. Um, and he essentially, I think, was at a bit of a crisis point himself. He wasn't enjoying his current job, but he started looking at research between jobs and and and, and happiness. And um, the only uh, and I mean, say happiness, you know, kind of kind of, I guess. Um, reward and satisfaction as well, um, and the only correlation he could find was 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 to do with the length of time someone had been specialising in in whatever their field was. So the the book is about I guess about focus and about commitment and about becoming a sort of a craftsman and, and looking at your work that way. And um, he said the people you know people interviewed from this enormous breadth of, of of roles and careers, the ones that were most found most reward in what they were doing were the ones that had really specialised and been doing it a long time. And I think people mistakenly assume that that you know becoming an explorer, whatever you want to call it, was this sort of calling that I knew I was going to do from day. It's not the case at all. I, I never, never, ever imagined this might even could even be a career path. Um, you know, my first expedition came about because I thought it'd be fun. I thought it'd be a one-off trip of a lifetime, and then I'd have to have to get a sensible job after that somehow. So it wasn't like I, I knew this was the path for me. I never even knew this could be a path. Um, and, um, and, and like most people doing most jobs, I've often questioned my path and often questioned if there'd be some alternative path where things would be a lot easier. So this is one of the things this book talks about is, is this, this, this mistaken idea that many of us have that, that there is some calling for us out there that if only we could find it then, and, and, and follow it, then our, then our lives would change profoundly. And, and that of course is nonsense. And, um, and I think I've applied that to particularly to the speaking work I'm doing, where, as I said, I, I for a long time I saw that as a as a sideline rather than actually what I did as a, as a professional. Um, so he talks about the importance of focus and, and also the importance of um, training, I guess, and, and preparation. And he just says how, how remarkable it is how few of us do anything that resembles um, education or, or sort of personal development. Once once we've left formal education, it's, it's you know very few. We do our jobs and then and then that's that's it really. Um, and and I think I was in the same space with with speaking. I wasn't really doing anything. I wasn't getting coaching. I wasn't getting any sort of you know doing anything outside of just giving talks to um, to try to improve. And that's that's changed. So um, I'm kind of waffling here, but I think that's that's a big part of my thinking that has, has, has changed enormously. This idea that, that, um, I think I would have said 10 years ago, follow your dreams, you know? And, yeah. and now, and now I'm like, well, you know, try to stick, <laughs> stick, stick with it. Exactly. Exactly. 
and I think and I think Avant was a was a lesson in that as well. It was it was I thought I was kind of pivoting. I guess is is a, is a, is a buzzword right now. I thought I was doing. I thought I was pursuing this different path that that might be even more rewarding somehow, without realizing that I'd spent at that point fifteen years becoming one of the best in the world at something. And suddenly I was turning my back on that to do something completely different. It was, I think that was, that was a lesson. Mm, that's a very good lesson. Mm. Well, I know you have some of the most amazing sponsors on the planet, uh, backing you Land Rover, Canada Goose, mm. Bremont watches, and probably a few others that I, I forgot. And I'm doing your job for you here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but one of the things that I wanted to ask you was from on a humorous note, is there any one little thing that you wish you had brought? And, and I'll tell you a funny story quickly so you kind of get the gist of the question. I spoke to a friend of mine who did the Clipper Around the World race mm. and, uh, he had all the, you know, all the kit necessary and he bought all the right stuff. And I asked him this question and I said, what was the one thing that you wish you had brought that you hadn't thought of before? And he says that he didn't really know it until he had somebody come in, uh, with a hot water bottle. And realize that it was like the most prized possession because you were on on hours for three hours and then off yeah. hours for three hours and you could never fall asleep because you were too cold. So everybody <laughs> fought over this stupid little three yeah. pound thing. Yeah. And so it was kind of one of these funny things where you might overthink other bits of kit the way that Scott did by bringing an airplane and bringing horses. But mm. sometimes it's the little things that kind of matter uh, more than anything else. What What little thing do you wish you had brought in your previous 14 expedition that you're bringing this time around or, or maybe are, are contemplating bringing? That's a very good question. I, I think we, I mean, over the years, you know, we, I've got pretty good at, at, at the preparation and, and that, you know, kind of, I have huge spreadsheets when it comes to all the gear and the food and everything I'm going to take with me. So that's, that's pretty well thought through. So I've never made any huge errors and you're forgetting something major. Um, we have, as an aside, we, we, we actually have, I, I will have, basically a, a hot water bottle i have a, a, a you know nalgene drinks bottle that I, I drink out during the day and at night the last thing i do after i've cooked my dinner is, is fill that up with hot water from the you know, boiling water from the stove and, and chuck it into the bottom of my sleeping bag to keep my feet warm so so, so i do have a, a bit of bit of luxury for my hot water bottle um i think that the the one minor thing i'm doing differently this time is is taking some sort of fun uh, bits of food i mean food is such a huge thing Obviously, it's, it's, it's fuel for the for this the, the, the physical exertion that you're that you're performing every day, um, and I think I'd always seen it just as fuel in the past. So yeah, you know, every, everything I took with me was 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 you know, in a giant spreadsheet that had how many grams of carbohydrate, how many grams of fat, how many grams of protein, how many yeah, you know, how many calories, how many you know how much to weigh, uh, how much fuel would it need to prepare it, you know, so on. And um, and Tark and I didn't really have anything. To look forward to we had we had no sort of fun food it was just all everything was functional <laughs> so i'm taking a bit of i'm taking like things like chocolate brownies this time that are made by a friend of mine you know that 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 i would never have taken on the last trip and i have no idea how many how much fat or calories or what i, I yeah, it doesn't really matter i'm sure they're high calorie they taste delicious so they, they must be um but i'm taking them more um as a psychological thing it's a bit of bit of kind of com comfort food um that isn't a sort of astronaut type you know sort yeah. of protein shake or you know amino acid pills or you know, whatever it is it, it's, yeah. it's it, you know, chocolate brownies made by a friend so um that's great so well that's, that's that's a difference well i hope to hear all the great news upon your return and uh and look forward to hearing your your talk um 
uh, about how it went and all the fun thank stories you. of eight weeks. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be. It's uh, a real pleasure. Yeah, it'll all be online very shortly. So yeah, ben, bensaunders.com is my, my website. It'll be on online. Um, I need to get that, get that up this week, actually. So that's my next job. Excellent. All right. Well, give me regards to the Ben Saunders team as well. <laughs> and uh, I look forward to hearing all the good news when you print, when you return. Fantastic. Carlos, thank you very much. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.